Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume six, issue 292, The Witcher 3, Wild Hunt. We've got there. You can play along with the show and the entire schedule up to and including issue 300, which is only a little way away now, can be found at canerince.com, our website. But for those looking to play along with our next few shows, we'll be covering Beyond Good and Evil, then the Capcom versus series, including all the uh, X-Men, Marvel type of games that they've done in that uh, that sort of uh, ballpark of mashups and punching, all that good stuff. Then it's Project Gotham Racing 3 and Project Gotham Racing 4. We covered uh, the three earlier games in that series um, prior to that. Then we shall do Mega Man and Mega Man 2. Whether we'll ever continue with that series, I don't know, because so many Mega Man fans tell me that 2 is the last one you need to play, even if you love the series. So we'll talk about that in the future. And then, talking of starting potentially long-running series, we're going to do it. Final Fantasy and Final Fantasy 2. Head to canorince.com for the full schedule, as well as reviews, features and articles, and links to our other Bits and Bobs forum and Facebook page and our YouTube channel. And you can support us and what we do. We have a Patreon, of course, patreon.com slash canerince. Um, you will hear this just ahead of us, about a month away from uh, uh, concluding our 2017 campaign, where we're trying to hit $3,000 a month. At the time of recording, we're a way away from that, but you could still uh, surprise us by getting us nearer to that mark. And if we do hit that mark, we'll actually make twice as many Cane and Rinse podcasts next year, making it easier for us to tackle the continuation of series like Final Fantasy for instance uh, you can also buy t-shirts and bags shop.spreadshirt.co.uk high quality merch uh, sound of play as well logos there that's our other podcast video games music comes out every Wednesday and it really helps us if you review and rate and of course subscribe to both of our podcasts via iTunes or whichever other platform uh, from which you get them so joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 292 are Jay Taylor. Hello. Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And Leah Haydu. Good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever it is where you are. Absolutely. Well, it's a, we have a real-time day-night cycle going on here. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yes, so we have previously covered the original The Witcher and its sequel, uh, and we talked about the, uh, the, the the many technological leaps between those two games. And here we are, perhaps uh, one of our more requested shows, I guess. Um, but it, you know, it's, uh, it's I guess it's two and a half years old now. It's uh, beyond the the kind of time period we like to leave things for the the dust to settle, hype, backlash, hyperbole, all that kind of thing. Uh, it's fair to say that reviews of The Witcher were uh, pretty stellar, although it's not sort of up there when it comes to average review scores in the realms of the likes of Breath of the Wild or some of your other kind of 95, 6, 7% games. Its average review score is around the 91, 92% mark, uh, depending on which version you're playing. Um, but looking at user scores on places like IMDb, we have 9.8 out of 10 from 7,300 uh, punters. And on Metacritic, it's also 9.2 as per the, the critical average. And that's from a whopping 26,800 odd um, uh, scores that people have, have plugged in there so I guess that's a, that's a pretty decent uh, consensus even though of course millions of people have played this game uh, the game release uh, received so many awards and accolades that 
it has its own page on Wikipedia. I won't go through them all, but it won a lot of Game of the Year awards and uh, and genre awards and so on and so forth. Uh, sales I'm interested in because according to VG Charts, it's around the six million units mark, but. I have no idea what percentage of The Witcher 3's total sales would be physical. This is a game that came out in 2015. It's a game that's regularly discounted at the time of recording. In October 2017, the game is available on all the formats for very little money. It's been repeatedly massively slashed in price. This is a game that will last you kind of a minimum of 50 hours, and that's absolute minimum. Um, and it's uh, sort of often around the 12 to, f- uh, to £15 pound mark for, for the full sort of Game of the Year edition and everything. Obviously, when it came out, it was full price, and there was a season pass, and there was expansions. But... Um, Josh, you know a little bit about sales, not specifically CD Projekt's Red's figures, but would you have any idea how many sort of percentage-wise copies this might have sold digitally on console um, and PC? Well, the, the 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 rule seems to be currently it's uh, uh, kind of one third of your sales, roughly, will be digital. So okay, um, yeah. So I, the vast majority will still probably be physical copies, but yeah, I, I mm. imagine a decent chunk of this is digital. Let's say, guess another two to three million then. Adam Turner from the forum says The Witcher 3 was everything I hoped it would be. It sucks the player in on a massive adventure and it never fails to deliver. I would say it is one of my all time favourite games. Uh, Thomas Quilfell also from the forum says The Witcher 3 and expansions are a totemic achievement of the whole medium despite being saddled with some very esoteric video game problems like bugs, loading issues during important quests and a design structure which invites open world fatigue. It's an overall triumph, colourful and characterful, funny yet poignant, sweeping yet soulful and intimate. I played Gwent for all of three minutes but still managed to squeeze over 100 hours out of the game and I'm seriously considering a replay after watching Danny O'Dwyer's no-clip documentaries. There were multiple moments including the Novigrad stage play which reminded me of my favourite game of all Final Fantasy 7, a beloved epic which also mixed world-threatening melodrama with daft humour Final Fantasy 7 also drew heavily from the Japanese culture of its creators just as The Witcher 3 could only have been a Polish creation <clears throat> Also, no developers endeared themselves to me as quickly or as fully as CD Projekt Red thanks to the thanks for buying our game note and soundtrack CD in the box. This meant I didn't even hesitate to buy the expansions at full price in order to reciprocate their sense of generosity. And their transparency with the recent no-clip documentaries continues this. A masterpiece of design, world building, storytelling, art, animation and music. My goodwill towards it and its developers knows no bounds. A couple more before before we give you our histories. Steve Norman says, I got The Witcher 3 for my birthday last May, but only started playing in October. It's about a year ago. I was so intimidated by what I'd heard, the length, the crafting, having to oil your sword, that I just kept putting it off and off. Then I was in a big car accident in Germany, always wear a seatbelt in a taxi because I would not be here otherwise, and had some time on my hands, so I dived in. The 70 or so hours I spent completing the story and following the side quests that my level allowed seemed to fly by. Progression felt very natural, Everything became second nature very quickly, although I never really did bother using oils on my sword, and Gwent didn't interest me. Like Adam, 
uh, previous poster, I did quickly develop a real empathy for the inhabitants of the world and surprised myself by refusing bounties and not nicking anything that wasn't under the nose of a soldier. That's a real credit to the developers. This was so much more than a video game. As a game, it's a marvel too, though. So many different mechanics at play, but never overwhelming and always satisfyingly challenging. The world looks, sounds and feels incredible. You feel truly a part of it while you're playing. Uh, but one sort of slightly counter to this, and this actually plays into uh, a couple of friends of mine who are, uh, you know, fairly uh, regular, fairly committed video game players who just did not get into The Witcher at all. They uh, they found it unengaging and they were turned away, whether it was the feel or, or other aspects or elements. And Nick Turner from the forum says, I personally feel that this game is too long for its own good. Every single side quest, every single person you talk to branches out into multiple other quests, visiting locations, activating bat sense type functions to investigate crime scenes, riding horses through miles of windswept countryside. It's a beautiful, stunning game, but I wonder if it's all a bit too much. I've not even reached Skelliger after 70 hours of play and have now dropped the game. Can I really face another 70 hours grind just to get where I already am and then a further potential 70 hours plus to get anywhere close to completing it? No. The Witcher 3 is a fantastic achievement, a world that it's possible to live within with dozens of realistic lifelike characters and voice actors that put any other game to dust. But for me personally, it's too much. When I was younger, I loved the idea of an open-ended, never-ending game to play around and lose yourself within. As I reach closer to the grand old age of 40, I prefer my games to have an interactive narrative structure that can be played through with choices that impact the outcome over the course of 20 hours. So there you go. So our histories with the game. Uh, Jay, I know this was the first game in the series that you played at the time. Um, yep. You played it on PS4, I know that. Um, but how much uh, how much time have you sunk into this? I know I know uh, how you you look, go tend I mean, to go with these. Yeah, things. <laughs> I, w- I really should start keeping a count on these, but I'm I'm at least somewhere within the region of two to three hundred hours at least, given the how many times I played through. And I'm, I'm yeah. some I will do everything. I will do every mission that I can I come across. Um, yeah, and you, you've been back to it since. Yeah, well. Not for times? in the run up to this because there's been no, other no, no. open world games that I've been kind of sucked into recently. So it's like, yeah, but like I came back into it at every time they they did an expansion as well. But it was always like I didn't want to just I would play the expansion and then I would replay the whole game and then go back into the expansion level. You know, with every like just I would have a clean run of it every time. So that's why I ended up with three complete playthroughs. But. Mm. Um, yeah, we should say, uh, listeners, we are not covering the two major expansions mm. in this podcast. We're, we're doing that as a separate show because I was advised by those who have already uh, played those substantial bits of add-on content that uh, they are significant chunks of uh, story that are worth discussion in their own right. Nope. So we decided to split uh, split them up. And in fact, one of those people who suggested that was uh, Josh here. So did you day one The Witcher 3, um, Wild Hunt? It was either day one or close to day one where I picked it up. Um, I I didn't. I was kind of excited for The Witcher Three, but it, it was one of those games where I thought it could go either way because I had a I had a lot of affection for The Witcher Two, but it wasn't without its problems. And my hope was that you know Witcher Three would kind of iron out some of those issues. I think you know. That them talking about an open world that seemed like a good idea to take the series but they'd never done an open world before so who know you know who knew it would turn out the way it did um 
and then yeah it 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 completely absorbed me most recently i had an experience similar to that with uh, zelda where it was just one of those games where um i i completely lost track of time like normally when i and this is totally my problem and i i don't know why i do this to myself but normally <laughs> when i'm playing any game i get a twinge of guilt like oh i should be doing something else i should you know i should be uh writing or i should be like doing a job or blah 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 when I was playing The Witcher 3 and, and Zelda more recently, um, I just I was completely absorbed and I just could mm. not put it down. And um, I think I, I ended up, you know, it, it's a long game. I think I ended up completing it within a month just because I was so, so uh, enraptured by it. And yeah, the the DLC, I, I pretty, I didn't p- pick up Hearts of, uh, Hearts of Stone um, at launch. Um, I wish I had mm. because that that's ended up being a real favorite of mine but we'll talk about that in another episode but yeah blood, blood and wine i also bought um i bought i unlike hearts of stone i bought that uh close to launch and yeah i i mean i've kind of given the game away as to my opinion on the game but yeah i i was completely okay. enthralled sure leah i think you've uh caught up with this uh, game that was on your backlog for the show i i have yes i um i have not played any of the other witcher games um i i tend to try when i can if i'm going into uh, to be completely reductive a game that has a number on the end of it i like to play the ones before it first yeah. so i had it in my mind that if i was going to play the witcher 3 then i should probably play the witcher 1 and the witcher 2 first i didn't end up doing that i just went straight into 3 and with a very few exceptions, uh, particularly early on in the game. Uh, there were a couple of moments where they would reference something or who are would, these guys? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It would. It, it wasn't. It wasn't too jarring. I don't. I don't think uh, for me. But it it definitely did stick out that this was a world that already existed and that people would be getting things out of this that I did not. Uh, however, that said, uh, I did not pick up the game near launch. I picked it up. Um, it was uh, some sort of sale. I, uh, I, I actually have a physical copy and I think that I spent maybe 20 or $25 on it. Um, and at that price, I, I had heard enough good things about the game that I thought, okay, well, well, I get to this, uh, at some point, cause it does seem like something that I would really like. Uh, and then when the recording came up in our schedule, I, uh, I played it for that over the, over the course of maybe the last six weeks or so, and um, I ended up putting probably roughly 60 hours into the game overall, um, Mm -hmm. which doesn't sound like that much uh, until you consider that I didn't touch Gwent except when they make you. Uh, And also, Hmm. I was playing uh, on an easy combat level, so um, a lot of things went more quickly for me than they probably would have for uh, somebody playing on a more difficult uh, combat level. And uh, I I absolutely ended up loving it. Uh, So I, I did... Um, go into a lot of the side quests. I did go into um, a lot of the optional content, and uh, I have not yet touched the expansions um, because I wanted to come into this particular recording not actually having that background. I, I wanted to save mm. that, um, but I 
I spent enough time on it that I felt by the end that I really wasn't missing anything. I thought that I was filled in enough and got enough from the context that it, it made up for that. I don't know if I would like to go back and play The Witcher 2. Um, I discovered that I actually do have a copy of that. I think that I either got it from some kind of sale or possibly from a, an Xbox Games with Gold. I, I don't know if it's ever been on they, that. But... They gave it away briefly uh, for okay. some, some odd reason. That, that was probably it. I, yeah. I, went to, I went to install Beyond Good and Evil on my, uh, on my Xbox One and I said, oh, hey, look, there's a copy of The Witcher 2 on here too. Um, so I, I don't know if I'll go back and, and play that, but um, I don't feel that I missed anything going, st- or at least not much, uh, going straight to three. No, and um, in fact, yeah. having I, I did I did save it and and do the trilogy for this show and did mm-hmm. them in order. But uh, even going into the first game because it was already based on established fiction yeah. uh, from books, uh, I kind of had the same probably the same thing of who's this guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Because it, it was kind of the first game sort of treats you like you might know a bit about the books already, so it doesn't really make that much difference. I wouldn't have said. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I, as I say, I pl- ended up playing the games in sequence for these podcasts. Uh, ended up cramming rather the uh, the last fifty hours or so over the last few days. Um, I just yeah just it got away from me a bit, but uh, it's been pretty fun, full immersion the last few days. A bit a bit tiring, but uh, you know you, worst ways to spend your time. Um, I did buy the PS4 version of the game nearer the nearer the time of launch for uh, yeah twenty five thirty pounds or something. Didn't get around to playing that. Um, upgraded my PC last year to a better graphics card and so decided that I did want to play the PC version uh, console versions obviously um, there's a you know there's a sort of tiering system which is now even made even more complex by the by the PS4 Pro and possibly the Xbox One X update that's going to come currently the Xbox One version is the lowest resolution way to play and possibly has the lowest fra- uh, you know biggest drops in frames then you've got PS4, then PS4 Pro, then Xbox One X. And if your PC has the right hardware uh, architecture, you can do what I did and very lucky enough to play the game at ultra uh, 60 frames a second, ultra settings, 1080p. Um, obviously, you can even crank the resolution higher if you have the monitor. Um, but yes, even if um, even if the... Uh, the console, the the baseline console version of what you have available, I think is still a pretty uh, impressive game. Um, on a technical level, though, we will talk about glitches and bugs later on. Uh, this is your spoiler warning for the plot. Uh, we'll talk about what endings we got. So uh, there is a, a main quest line. There's also um, a number of elements that you can affect in how they play out at the end of the game in the way that these kind of RPGs work these days. So I think one of the most important things to talk about with The Witcher, even though we've sort of talked about the establishment of the the lore and setting, is the characters and cast in this uh, in this context. Uh, and the, the story and the script will kind of wrap it all up into one thing. First, we'll hear from a, a couple of uh, posters on the forum from the community, and then I'll let you three guys have at it. Mauricio MM says, Have you ever felt when watching a good TV show over several years that the story and the characters became a part of your life not in a big way after all there are other shows out there but still you feel almost like you've grown with that show you felt a lot of nostalgia when it ended enough to stay away from the tv for a week or two in order to reminisce and cherish the memories that the show left in you but you're still glad that it ended where it did on such a high note well in a way that's the witcher saga to me and ashman 86 
Near the end of Act 2 of The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, you arrive upon the Isle of Mists, where at last the search for Geralt's surrogate daughter, a plot arc that has dominated the game's main story up until this point, will come to its conclusion. After a run-in with seven dwarves, themselves caricatures of the seven from Disney's take on Snow White, you find Ciri's lifeless body at the back of a ramshackle house, and the Witcher, overcome with grief, buries his head in his hands before scooping up and embracing the girl. A light enters Ciri, who wakes and reciprocates Geralt's hug. Then there's a flashback, a scene borrowed from one of Andrei Sapkowski's novels. Geralt comes upon a white-haired child in the woods, and the cherubic younger Ciri springs into his outstretched arms. Even if The Witcher 3 had failed at virtually every other aspect of its design, I'd wager it would still be worth celebrating for its characterization, both of its fictional people and its fantasy world. There are precious few binaries to be found here. Characters are rarely, if ever, wholly good or evil. They're people, complex and motivated to different ends and by different things. Maybe I'm more susceptible to to such things at 30 than I had been as a younger man. Maybe the fact that I have three very young daughters of my own meant that I was more empathetic to the relief and joy that Geralt must have felt in that moment, but tears rolled down my cheeks liberally. I called into bed too late that night. How was your game? My wife asked me, half awake. I told her what I'll echo here. It's a masterpiece. Uh, panel, the story, the setting, the scenario. Take the floor. One of, one of the first things that really struck me as um, different between this game and my experience of The Witcher 2 and what would become my experience of The Witcher 1 is Geralt himself. Um, I think Geralt is a much more complicated and likable character in The Witcher 3 than he has been in any of the previous games. He still has that kind of gruff exterior and he and he you know he's sarky with people he doesn't know but there's more there's more layers to him now like he his behavior the way he holds himself is different so when he's talking to um Yennefer there's um there's there's a sense of the impact this person has had on his life there's he's not talking to her in the way he would talk to some peasant you know, that he meets for a Witcher contract. There's a respect that's been earned between the two of them. And also that they allow Geralt to be goofy throughout the story in a way that they kind of dabbled with it in The Witcher 1 and uh, less so in The Witcher 2. But here Geralt's like allowed to be really, really funny at points, like genuine. And, and, and it's not just the dialogue and the voice acting, like some of the touches of the animation, which I'm sure we'll get onto, like his little like rolling of the eyes when people are talking and they have no idea what they're, what they're saying and stuff like that. I just, Geralt became a, you know, in this game became a character I really, really loved. I agree with that. I, uh, <laughs> I, I obviously don't have uh, the Geralt of the previous two games to compare him with, but I, um, I started the game not really liking Geralt's voice actor all that much. Mm. Uh, I really. I really like that Geralt is kind of a snarky, sarcastic uh, person when when he takes a mind to to be that, um, and, and he obviously is you know very intelligent and very able to read people, not just have a uh, a detailed knowledge of uh, of the creatures that he's hunting, um, and that that to me it, he really did feel like a a person not just this kind of stoic 
warrior type who is just going to go out and kill whatever you tell him to kill because that's what he does. He kills things because he's been bred to kill things. It, it wasn't it wasn't that it, he there was part of that. But also not only did he have kind of further dimensions to him just as as written, you know, as on paper, but you can also play Geralt as more of a soft person or a person with a heart if you have a mind to and what I mean by that is the way that I ended up choosing actions for Geralt in most situations kind of centered on the fact that I saw him as somebody who was who was human who you know worries about kids who worries about villages that might be destroyed if he decides to demand more money for for killing something. So when I had the opportunity, I tended to, uh, I never once tried to barter for more money for a contract. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, not once. I, and and I had my um, my um, uh, skill very high to where I could have probably done that and gotten away with it for the most part, but I, I didn't. And a couple of times, if I felt sympathetic or felt that Geralt would be sympathetic to uh, a, a particular situation, you occasionally will have the opportunity to say, you know what, no, just keep, keep what you're going to try and give me because you need it more than I do. And I pretty much always did that. Now, if it was a person who was a big jerk as many of them are they're not all good people by any stretch then uh i mean i wouldn't be quite as hospitable but i also wasn't really trying to rob them blind um so i i i kind of i i guess i i played Geralt as um a mercenary with a heart which i guess is sort of a cliche but that's kind of how he felt to me um so i i played that up hmm. jay how about you this game's uh, world and setting, story, characters. Did it drive you on? Compel oh, you? With, without any doubt whatsoever. I mean, right at the pretty much right at the start of the game. And I think this is where, for me, I, I knew this game was going to like be something special. It's there's part of the mission, and you don't have to do this. It's, it's part, you know, it's a completely optional uh, part of a quest. But you can go and speak to the herbalist in White Orchard, mm-hmm. and you start this conversation with her. And you have, you know, the conversation. You've got control over this conversation in terms of how much, how far you want to like talk to somebody. And it was the fact that you could, you know, at first she's just the herbalist, but then in this conversation, you know, you realize you start talking about how she became, how she came to this village, and she gives you just enough like it's not like reams of text or anything but it's well not a conversation rather but um it's just enough to flesh this character out that she wasn't just this random npc herbalist in this village but she was tamira you know the herbalist and who had a history and and you know you find her somewhat sort of sad backstory as to how she ended up in white orchard and i think it's just at that point i was like well I remember at the at the very beginning thinking like if this is how much detail they're going to invest in these characters even sort of fairly random NPCs then I'm in for the long haul with mm-hmm. this and you know safe to say it pretty much was consistent throughout the whole game with with that level of fleshing out these fleshing out all the characters 
Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, th- I think something that really sticks with me, and um, Sean Bell um, wrote a great article on this, actually, called The uh, Useless Professional, um, is the choice to have Geralt be... Rather than, because a lot of RPGs kind of cast you as a messianic, you know, figure. You're mm-hmm. the Jesus of this world, and I, I think you know the Witcher series has been great at kind of making Geralt feel like an old um, tradesman, an old craftsman, like he's been around the block. He's he's done this for a long time, and this is what he knows. But he's not he's not brilliant at everything. He's brilliant at this one thing which is killing monsters but he's not you know a political genius he's not he's not going to lead a great nation uh, against you know against the uh, the evil hordes he's not going to prevent prevent disaster in a stroke of genius the you know the usual kind of video game protagonist is actually siri and uh, although you get to play as her you know at certain points in the game she's she's a supporting character um in the in the in the story and you're kind of playing the 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 character who's along for the ride along you know to witness the uh, the uh, the uh, journey of the uh, the messianic figure and and i like this particular kind of character the the um, kind of Ronin archetype, I, I like to call them. You know, Wolverine is like that. Um, the man with no name is like this. The, this guy who just wanders from town to town, trying to help people where he can, but sometimes he can't help people. Sometimes he can, and there's the there's a cynicism, you know, in him. There's a you know he's he's seen a lot of darkness, but the fact that he keeps going on, he keeps trying to help people, says that Geralt does have some faith in humanity somewhere inside of him and i just that that to me in in a sea of games where you're the perfect you know the perfect being who's going to solve everyone's problems it's so refreshing to play an open world rpg where um you're you're doing all these side missions and these main missions and you're not the most important person there you might be the second or third but you're not the most important person there and there are wars going on and cataclysms happening that uh seem inevitable even though you have a part to play in them Mm. yeah and to go to go along with that as well josh you mentioned um comparisons to kind of the the wandering uh heroes for lack of a better word there uh most of them would be kind of a welcome site and something that's different about Geralt is he's not always welcome he's a lot of people i i would say probably more people than not don't really it's not exactly that they don't like him, it's that he makes them very uncomfortable. And they recognize that they need him sometimes, but it's not a welcome to our village, please uh, stay as long as you like and let us make you very comfortable. It's kind of a, with some exceptions, it's kind of a, well, okay, I guess we can find a place for you, but once you've done what we need you to do, we need you to move on. Uh, and that's something that you don't see a whole lot either in video games or in uh, a lot of literature or, or movies or anything like that. You know, you the person that you're following is, if they're going to be useful, then they're probably also going to be looked upon more favorably than Geralt generally is. 
And how about uh, Geralt's relationships with his... He's got, uh, I guess, kind of three, I suppose... I mean, they all, they all cross paths, but there's three sort of main groups that I suppose he hangs out with or has relationships with. There's the, there's the Zoltan and Dandelion um, kind of buddies. There's also his uh, Witcher um, mentor and companions at Kaer Morhen. And then there's his sort of ongoing love triangle, I suppose, depending possibly partly on the choices you've made in the previous games or possibly not. I'm not really sure. I said it was a square for me. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to work that out. Who was the other person? Uh, it was um. Oh God, what's her name? The uh, the blonde sorceress right at the beginning. Kira Metz. Uh, yeah, Kira. Oh, Kira okay. Sorry. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. So his 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 love triangle or square of uh, sorceress <laughs> uh, ladies. Um, and we talked about the sort of the changes in tone between uh, the witch one with its uh, sexy collect em up um two where uh, although it still had its uh, its moments it wasn't presented in quite the same way and now we're at a point where it still has uh, some you know romantic scenes and romantic options um but it it certainly it feels quite a long way away from from what's gone before in certainly in that 10 year old game yeah, you will face some consequences if you try to romance more than one lady. I will just say that. <laughs> right, yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I sort of only realized uh, quite a long way into the game that if this is sort of Grand Theft Auto in a in a medieval style fantasy setting, uh, you can, you know, you can also visit the brothel in this game. Um, you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can pick a lady. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if I, I, I didn't do it. And I don't know if it results in a scene or if there's any fallout from that. But <laughs> you can even by the time that the story has dictated that you've at least somewhat committed to someone, you can still go and be a dirty boy um, and, a, and a, a dog and, uh, and and undermine things. But as I say, I, because I didn't do it, I don't know how much the consequences are. But then the fact that I felt like in my story, I had, uh, I'd had history with, uh, with Triss from the previous game. But in this game, I returned to my, my true love, even though she's a uh, difficult Yennefer. Um, and so having gone through that and had this curse removed where, um, you know, they were bound by this magic basically. And then they, they got rid of the magic to see if they were still, they still wanted to be together. Um, and then I felt it would have been completely undermining of that, that entire piece of the story to then go to a brothel and just start <laughs> sleeping with strumpets but uh, but the options there and that's cool yeah i think that was maybe the the thing that i might have missed out the most on not having any background coming in is that i felt you were supposed to have more feelings sure leaning towards either tris or yennefer going in and yeah. i did not have any of that background so I, just I felt red that hair that or dark had, hair. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, I mean, and you get more personality from them after you have spent more time with them. But by that point, you've kind of already had to make a decision. Um, not necessarily a definitive one, but uh, if you explore both subplots, as I said, it bites you in the end. Um, and that's what I ended up doing. So uh, yeah, Geralt, uh, Geralt did not end up with either lady in the end in my storyline. Oh, good job. Did you find that? Was that... Uh, a pleasing way for the story to play out for you though Did yeah it work I, thought, I thought so because i mm. i went through you have the opportunity to go through the romance subplot with tris 
much earlier than you do with Yennefer. Um, so I had already done that. And then things kind of started to head down that path with Yennefer, who I hadn't seen in a long time. You kind of catch her briefly at the very beginning and then not again for a while. Um, and then once that started, I thought, well, you know, yeah, okay, sure. I will, uh, I'll, I'll see this out and see how this goes as well. And then <laughs> considerably later on, um, you get a scene where essentially Geralt is woken up by both Triss and Yennefer who say, hey, you should come see both of us at the same time. And I'm thinking, this is a trap. This is a trap. This is a trap. <laughs> so of course I go, sure, I'll do that. And oh. uh, it's a trap. Spoilers, it's a trap. Um, so, nice. but it was, it was, yeah, I, I mean, he, if Geralt had actually behaved that way without me just kind of wanting to see what punishment they would dole out to mm -hmm. him, then he, yeah, I think he pretty much would have deserved this. Um, so I, I, I thought that it was well written um, as I did most of the, uh, the, the script and the, uh, the dialogue that you get throughout the game, which I read as much of as I possibly could. Mm. Um, I haven't read any of the books yet, um, but I have purchased the first one and uh, it's, it's on my, my shelf to, uh, to get read soon because that, that was something that took up a lot of the time for me was just mm. reading all of the options that they would let you have. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the entire bestiary and glossary as well. No, maybe not. Uh, uh, I skimmed it, but yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, that I didn't quite get. To quite get that ton, there's a lot there is yes. a ton of stuff um yeah so uh jay how about the um the sort of the romance arc of the story and 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 i suppose siri as well and did you know did that that sort of main thrust um of the of the story work mm. for you i know we had some correspondence um regarding witcher 2 um for for people who um are very much into this sort of political machinations of, of that game that actually they found that a more satisfying story so i don't know where you stand on that jay i mean i appreciated that side of witcher 2 but i think you know if i had to hold two games up against one another I, i'm always going to go for three i think i was far more immersed in the world and the characters of three they, they didn't even come close if i'm honest um i like to but yeah with the characters, and in particular the, his relationships with Triss, uh, Yennefer, and Ciri, I I was really impressed by this stuff. The performances combined with the writing and the, the way the story evolved between these characters was fascinating. I, I can't think of another game that even holds a light to this in terms of how it dealt with certain um, it, relationships, in a sense. Um with given every the scope of the game itself as a whole, you know I think it, it just it impressed the hell out of me. Even with the brothel stuff, there was character put into it. There was some depth put to these women. Like you can have a conversation with them. You can ask them why. How long you've been working it, here? Yeah. You know, and you get why these, are you doing this? Yeah. yeah, and you get these responses. And sometimes you know, like they they say, oh, I've never had a witcher before and stuff. And then you know, there's a brief conversation that stems from it. The and state of your scars. Yeah, even that sort of stuff made, like, just gave everything that sort of, like, you know, a, a sense of depth, a sense of, like, just effort that had gone into everything that they that they created for the world, which, you know, elevated it from beyond the sort of, like, the lewdness of, like, a GTA. You know, it was just, yeah, it just felt like there was just more thought going into it. But For me, um, I, I think... Overall, I, I prefer the the main plot of The Witcher 2, mm. but The, the Witcher mm. 3 is a game of 
um, it, it's an episodic game, it, and it and the mo- the smaller moments in certain side missions or kind of like stories within the main quest that are kind of their own thing are what make it special for me. Um, you know, loads has been written about you know the the bloody Baron quest line mm. and how that talks about um, you know. Uh, alcohol addiction and um, and abuse and all of that stuff and I think you know I think the the actor who plays the bloody Baron may sometimes be a little bit over the top but the with his the, brummy yeah brummy but the, the 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 writing and, and the way that 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 mission intersects with the crones mission as well that that was when when i realized that those two quest lines kind of cross paths that was the moment where i was like oh okay mm. this this game is special because yeah. i hadn't seen that that happen before in a in an rpg i'm sure somebody can will probably think of an example after they've heard this but like for me that was the first time i'd experienced two quest lines so elegantly kind of cross paths of each other in that way and 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 another mission uh, that really kind of stayed with me um and this is actually a witcher contract that um kind of ends up doing something really different from the others so the the witcher contracts are these missions where um you ba- basically are given the task of hunting down a monster and a lot of them kind of play out they all have some interesting context around them and why the villagers want the the monster dead but usually it kind of you know comes down to you talk to the villagers you go off and hunt the monster and you collect your you know you collect your reward but this one um so you, you pick up the notice and um, you you go okay right okay let's head to that village but you arrive at the village and everyone's dead and everyone's been slaughtered mm. and your first thought is oh so the mo- I'm too late the monster killed everyone and then Geralt realizes that these people weren't killed by a monster they were killed by the sword they were killed by the blade and you ba- you basically piece together that another witcher came here before you did. And the villagers didn't have enough money to pay him. So instead of trying to pay him, they they were going to try and ambush, overpower and kill him. So they've, they've dealt with their monster problem and also don't, you know, they don't have to pay for it. The, the Then the witcher kind of, you know, reacts the way anyone would in self-defense and basically, you know, kills them. But then ends up going on a bit of a killing spree and basically kills the entire village. You track him down and he's just sitting there like in despairing at what he's done and you decide whether you know you're going to let this guy go and live with the the guilt of what he's done or are you going to kill the guy and that mission was like you know I went into it expecting kind of a standard you know monster quest and it destroyed me like and there are several there are several times where the witcher 3 subverts kind of your expectations with the start of the uh, the quest versus what it ultimately ends up being but that one in particular really stayed with me as just really emotionally affecting i'd like to go back to the bloody baron quest if we can for a minute yeah please. because this is coming into this uh into this playthrough that was probably the facet that i had heard the most about not really knowing that much about it and i didn't have a whole lot of context I just knew that people had spoken of that as something that was a really impactful um, series of, of uh, quest steps for them. And 
it made me really uncomfortable. And I, I think that I probably posted something in our uh, in our Slack chat around then that mm. said something to the effect of when do I get to kill this guy or, or mm-hmm. something something to that effect. And I, I I have a really hard time thinking that anybody would see him as any kind of sympathetic character. So I'm curious if anybody did and if mm. if that or, or how that played out. Like I is it possible to leave that with him alive because he wasn't in my playthrough he killed himself same yeah yeah um, I, I don't know did, i mean yeah, he did on my first one and then on my mm. second I, I played it slightly differently but oh okay how does that how does that pan out it's tied into what happens to his wife so when you find mm. her and it, again and this is what one of the key things for this game it's like every mission feels like you drop you're throwing a stone into a, a into a pond and that the ripples are going to reverberate through several yeah. other missions and like the the crown's mission there's a thing where you basically kill the you have a choice to kill the crown's mother and it, how you play that out impacts on what happens to anna which impacts on the bloody baron which mm-hmm. you know and it's just one after the other and it's almost like a domino effect if you make the it's wrong choice you know? yeah the complexity and, behind the scenes the the, the pin boards they must have had up oh, in that studio like, on the second playthrough there was a few things i definitely didn't want to see happen again mm-hmm. and and it was um in particular as you mentioned earlier kira metz so the first yes. time I met I met her, I really liked this character. I think I loved her sort of um, a sort of sarcastic nature, a constant little jibes, and uh, the, the humor of the character, especially the way she sort of bounced off Geralt a lot of the time. And I, you know, I, I played through her mission. Uh, she helped me. Uh, then there was like a little there's a side quest that comes up. She says, "Come speak to me later." So I did that. And there's a choice to make at the end of it and this however it plays out you she either lives or dies and if she dies it's yeah. by your sword and yeah. i was genuinely gutted after i killed her because I, I i i would li- i said uh at the time when this happened i i literally we had to fight and mm. i wanted to, i was hoping there'd be some way out of it at that point and i just spent 10 minutes like just blocking everything that she threw at me just dodging <laughs> and blocking because i was trying to think give me another conversation axe give me some way to stop this because i don't want to have to do this and i did and i remember that day i just i had to shut the game off because i was i didn't want to do the whole re- go back to an earlier save and fix it no no because i felt this is what's important about this game i want to see Keep how it plays out but it, i love mm. the fact that it really 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 got to me that i'd killed this mm. character that i grew to like and it was you know moments like that that no other really no other game has quite had on me mm. i had the same experience with with kira because it Basically, the options that you get in that encounter are you can let her go or you can stop her. And I thought that stopping her would involve talking her down, getting her back on your side. That's not what that means. It means that you're going to kill her. And I was so upset when when I figured that out that, uh, yeah. And especially especially when you see how it can play out as she survives and meets mm. you in Care More and... And yeah. then, you know, she helps with... The, and she's quite an effective sorceress as mm-hmm. well. And she's, you know... Then she runs off. She shacks up with uh, Lambert and runs off with him. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, You know, and it's the way that when you when you play through again and do different things, it's that level of impact and the level of, of how much these things affect the outcomes in different ways that just enthralls me every time. 
it sticks it in your face too because you have the <laughs> when you start getting the quest to go gather your allies you still get the quest to go talk to Kira but it's just automatically a failed quest so mm. that that was that burned to me but it, mm. like I, I've see there's there's several ways it can play out as well I mean mm. she was basically going to take this thing that she thinks will stop Radovid from hunting the witches or protect her own neck basically and then you find out that Radovid basically executes her in the most horrific manner and there's a seat there's a like there's a there's another little su- submission which I've never got because I've never let it get to that that particular outcome but you know where you where Triss gives you a mission to basically go and retrieve her body because she's been impaled on oh a, on a spike in the middle of the market square, and you you know you go there and there's a couple of guards guarding her body and they're mocking her and stuff and it's just how you you know and that can then play out slightly differently as well depending on what you want to do, mm. but it's just like this really tragic kind of ending to it as well and I've you know it's just oh dear <laughs> you know worth saying for those who didn't do this quest or, or notice it or get to it that uh, there is uh, it is possible to get involved very directly uh, with the plot to execute uh, or assassinate I should say the cruel king mm-hmm. Radovid and that has uh, so significant so bearing satisfying. on the on yes yeah. oh on, yeah I killed him real dead <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, and I don't know how much mileage there is for us to have this conversation but I think it's worthwhile um, this was this came out of some uh, posts on the forum it turned into a into a big long thread I recommend uh, com slash forum to, to see the whole conversation um, but it obviously means a lot to a couple of people who posted so I think uh, we'll entertain that uh, Andrew Brown said I really like Wild Hunt for me the sluggish player character movement broken horseback travel and grueling early difficulty curve holds it back from the pantheons but it was still a worthwhile investment of my limited time there's a breathing world built here and all its interlocking narrative cogs are prodigious and brilliant but what i tend to think of first when i look back on my time with wild hunt is how it treats women I view the side quest a tower full of mice as a microcosm of how women are treated by wild hunt's incidental moments In it, Geralt learns of a lord's daughter, Annabelle, who found herself trapped in a mage's tower when it's attacked by superstitious peasants. Taking a paralytic given to her by the mage, she was mistaken for dead and left alone. But before the potion could wear off, she was eaten alive by the mage's lab rats. This traumatic death turned her into a pester, a cursed spirit that preys upon men. She remains trapped in the tower until Geralt arrives to save her. The lesson here is clear. Wronged by men, a woman's fate is to become a monster who plagues men until she is saved by one. To the men involved, a strange woman is dangerous and probably evil. There are numerous plague maiden side quests which follow a similar structure. Annabelle is the most noticeable. This casual violence and exalted victimisation of women permeates what feels like a majority of Wild Hunt quests. Geralt tracks a serial killer to a brothel where he lounges among its victims' mangled bodies. The happy ending to the much-vaunted Bloody Baron questline is sending a mentally ill and emotionally traumatised woman, a woman incapable of consent in other words, off with her physically abusive alcoholic husband. Priscilla's assault by a vampire is brushed off because it improves her singing voice, or so Dandelion claims. Let me again emphasise that I enjoyed Witcher 3 Wild Hunt very much. I put forward these criticisms not to lambast or try to detract from others' enjoyment, but a thing we like or love we need not have slavish devotion to. The medium as a whole struggles with its treatment of women, and if Wild Hunt feels particularly pronounced, I believe that's due to more to its prodigious scope than any malicious intention. Marvel at its scope and majesty, but also let us recognise its cracks in the hopes that next time it can be done better. 
as a counter argument and as i say this is edited down and and uh, and the to and fro went on in a very respectful civil friendly intelligent manner i should say odrazut i think apologies if i've uh, mispronounced your forum name says yes witcher has several plague maidens but it also has many cursed and victimized men in my humble opinion it's the real problem with searching for sexism in art it demands women to be strong characters but still wants them to be safe from any triggering in inverted commas harm that just makes boring characters with bland conflicts and that's why we have stereotypical token strong female character perfect in every inch never fears anything world no matter how grimdark tiptoes around her not to make anybody uncomfortable meanwhile male characters get to be in real danger face real threats and have interesting disadvantages token female characters can only have one disadvantage the patriarchy is holding them down thankfully cd project red haven't done that and instead went for dozens of female characters all with different strengths and issues all fitting with the setting they're in in a violent setting it's sexist not to treat women as badly as everybody else when Geralt walks around people spit and call him names when siri walks around people catcall her oh and dandelion is a damsel in distress repeatedly saved in part thanks to his former and current lovers who are female i should say uh, any comments on that panel so i i i have some problems with um some of the treatment of women in this game as in a lot of games however um for the most part i actually do agree with a lot of what um odds Odra, uh, Odra uh yes what what Something the like uh, ladder poster <laughs> is uh is saying um because there are it, it isn't just one or two female characters it isn't just the uh the messianic uh siri who we uh you know see traveling around she's not the only one that we have to deal with here there are so many female characters and it would stand out to me almost as much if there were no female characters experiencing any kind of uh any kind of distress or any kind of anything as if uh as if it is currently. I, I think CD Projekt Red actually does strike a really great balance here because there are some immensely powerful female characters. There's Siri, there's Triss and Yennefer, there's the entire Lodge of Sorceresses, actually, um, who are not perfect characters. They they have a lot of power, but they also have issues in their characters that prevent them from being just kind of females uh, stuck in to be... Uh, really wonderful examples of uh, of powerful characters there are also a lot of powerful male characters and some of them are better than others in how they're written and in how they uh handle different things some of them are better people than others some of them are really really flawed and some of them are outright horrible like the bloody baron who in as I mentioned before, in my playthrough, he kills himself, and that was a happy ending to me uh, because I I was not about to send his wife back with him. I told him to go away, and yeah, I I I, I don't think that you're ever going to get a perfect portrayal of female characters in pretty much anything, uh, but I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, and I think that CD Projekt Red does. A really great job of making them seem real. Both female and male characters seem logically like they could exist uh it, it's not they're not 
stereotypes for the most part. Mm-hmm. Any comment from the heterosexual males here? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I largely agree with what Leah just said. Um, I, I would just add that, you know, having played all of the Witcher games and kind of mm. judging the series on a curve, I think The Witcher 3 is possibly the best at handling all of this stuff. I think that mm. there are a few... Um, characters that have necklines are a little bit you know not re- they're, oh, they're not God, low yes. for for any benefit other than the players <laughs> i'm um, not entirely sure that some of these women have nipples because we'd see them if they did yeah but and sometimes we do um, <laughs> well, true. Yeah. yes however i you know ca- cast our minds back to the witcher one um i think you know th- i i genuinely think there are bits of the witcher one that are just outright misogynist um just mm-hmm. the you know the card you know collectible shag cards is like pretty oh, bad gosh. he might as well be <laughs> Gotta catch carving a notch in his bedpost it's like really wow. bad um <laughs> And yeah, like Leah said, like these characters are really, you know, well fleshed out. Yennefer's great. Like I think Yennefer's a great character. I think even you know the sex scenes. um, I think even those are like I think you know the one in The Witcher Two that I'm thinking of is pretty pornographic. Um, But here they feel for the most apart from the prostitute sex scenes, I think they're still kind of in that kind of area but oh, like so the, you watched those then yeah um for research <laughs> uh, the the kind of the key sex scenes kind of play out almost like you know they're romance novel style thing you get the yeah. sex scenes with uh yeah there's two kind of major sex scenes of yenna for one you've got like cuts to wolves chasing down a deer in oh, the background God. and it's <laughs> like so really really cheesy but i think it was deliberately cheesy possibly. Yeah, yeah but like yeah. that's better that's still better because it's kind of like it's like a sweeping romantic sex scene rather than uh, just like you know triple x kind of porn that was going on in witcher 2 and then okay. there's the um you know the unicorn sex scene yeah what's up with the unicorn hilarious that's so funny that is so funny out of context it- that's great and i i expect that the context is also pretty good but i had no context for that it's just they are having sex on a unicorn i think the groundwork for that is okay. late in the book it's a bit of a running gag it's definitely a running yeah. gag I mean there's a there's a there's a joke with Vesemir <laughs> that's like where he's reading some note to hers and, and he says something about picking up a unicorn and he's like what's that about and, and Geralt's like oh, I've no idea <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's just yeah if you you know it's just uh, oh, god I really do need to read the books <laughs> Yeah. Um, So, yeah, on a slightly lighter note, but actually I think this is relevant, especially as somebody who deliberately saved up all three games uh, to play in sequence Mm. with the the, the consequences supposedly running through. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, how the the saves do um, lock in together. And actually, I was only aware of a couple of things that I know definitely were affected by previous actions. With some of it, it may be more subtle. Um, I was incredibly pleased to see that the tattoo I got, the terrible neck tattoo I got on a drunken night night out in The Witcher 2 (laughs) is still there in The Witcher 3. Um, That's my favourite thing. And also Letho, uh, who I let live, didn't fight in the second game, turns up to help be some sort of ally in, in the third game. 
But on a more critical note, uh, from the forum, Tadinho says, Witcher 3 is a difficult a difficult game for me to come to a conclusion. Some parts I absolutely adore, while others I just hate. And while overall I think Witcher 3 is a great game that has rightfully become the new benchmark for open world RPGs, I can never shake the feeling that it disappointed me. Some of my biggest problems stem from CD Projekt Red's complete disregard of player choice in previous games. While the Witcher series never promised Mass Effect-style choices affecting multiple games, the way they just ignored or brushed aside most consequences of previous games was to me a big slap in the face especially given that I chose Yorveth's path on Witcher 2 because not only is Yorveth completely absent from this game other than a mention that he may have died off screen but all the events that happened in his path are rendered utterly meaningless. Roach's path doesn't fare much better with almost all of it being ignored but at the very least he and Temeria have a role in the game where Yorveth and the Scoyatel are completely absent. The only real choice that matters from previous games is if Letho survived or not everything else is practically thrown out of the window i think it's a valid it's a valid point i think the problem is that with the game as like the logistics of putting a game like this together given that given yeah. what is in there boggle the mind and i think they having do. to try and do something that is is potentially world changing within the uh, you know if you i mean i assumed wrongly that if you'd followed through with the Yorveth thing, that basically Yorveth, and I think this was the initial intention from what I've gathered, but at some point they right. decided there was just too much work involved and they they canned it. But I think the idea was that there would be a similar kind of thing that with Yorveth as there would have been with um, Roach, where you know it, it just switched the two out depending on how that played out in two. But I, I, you can totally think what well, this trying to see how that's going to play out with the likes of um, Digstra and, and that whole uh, quest line about killing Radovid and stuff where they're, they're intertwined with that stuff that you, it, it wonders how they could have possibly worked Yorveth into this without it being mm. a fundamental different sort of um, set, set of missions like I don't know like it would have been nice for sure if they'd done it, but like to expect to, to ask that of, of a developer is, you yeah, know. we see this, uh, attempted and it's, and it's bold and it's certainly, um, you know, can add something, mm. hence me wanting to do it this way. Um, but as with the telltale games, as with the Bioware games, you tend to see that it's diminishing returns. Each game has slightly less to do with the last one because the branching paths would be just impossible to manage. Mm. Let's talk graphics, video games. Yay. It's pretty. <laughs> so let's talk from both an artistic <laughs> point of view and then a technical point of view. Um, I just wanted to say that, yeah, I, I was lucky. I mean, I think this game, I, I've seen this game running on uh, console hardware. We're now talking about, uh, you know, baseline PS4s and Xbox Ones, which are, uh, you know, heading for four or five years old. The game still looks incredibly pretty. Yeah. Um, playing this... I started playing this as soon as I'd finished The Witcher 2 um, on my PC. And I've also played, you know, some other amazing looking games this year. But with everything cranked up to ultra and running at 60 frames a second, this game is genuinely jaw dropping at times. Mm. Um, on a Both on an artistic and technical level, um, in the sense that uh, it's... In, you know, there's 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 very few issues. Obviously, your mileage your mileage may vary. Um, we'll talk a little bit about some glitches and bugs momentarily, but 
Uh, it's for me, my experience is was uh, pretty much smooth. The, the occasional little herky jerky bit, which I probably could have smoothed out by cr- turning the buttons down just a little bit, but I didn't want to because it was so gorgeous. And actually, the those tiny little hiccups were were nothing compared to the stunning sort of uh, visuals I was getting. This incredibly organic looking world that's ridiculously big as well. Um, but actually, I have to say. Um, a couple of I have a couple of criticisms I think although the skin textures are remarkable I think some of the facial animation isn't perhaps um, it's good and I think sometimes it conveys really subtle emotions but it could be better I think it can be a little stiff Um, but the thing that struck me I think the most often of all is how stunning the costume design is um, both in terms of um, how how it talks about the characters and also the literally like the weave of the material and the textures used for the the leather and the metal and all that sort of stuff and obviously the higher settings you have um, switched on and the higher resolution game you're playing the better they'll look but I think regardless even if you're playing this at the lowest resolution which would be like 900p on a on an Xbox One I just think the the colors and stylings and everything like that are, are gorgeous I remember we had one I think it was one comment in the Witcher 2 show from the forum saying that they they found that the Witcher 3 was kind of a bit uh, a bit dull and grey and brown and, and warlike after Witcher 2. I couldn't, I, I feel completely the other way around. This game is, although it has some, you know, some muddy areas and some dark nights, I think overall it's just, yeah, it's just mm. on, a, on a natural aesthetic level. And the man-made stuff as well, like the wooden panels in the walls in the inns and that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm sure there are mods you can make it look even more amazing. But yeah, I was I was pretty much blown away by the the visuals, both artistic and technically throughout. Yeah, I I, I played on a PS4, not a Pro, uh, just a base model PS4, and uh, yeah, with with as we'll talk about uh, some minor, fairly minor glitches. Um, mm-hmm. I I thought that it was uh, one of the best looking games that I have played on the system so far um it it just it one of the things uh that just kind of a minor detail is um that i really liked how when you go to have uh blacksmiths or uh merchants either sell you or craft you armor if you're kind of just doing armor from whatever whatever you pick up you know or whatever uh just random pieces of armor it still looks really good technically but artistically it's kind of it it looks like you just threw a bunch of pieces of armor (laughs) together but if you do the quests to get the uh schematics to actually get yourself witcher armor then it actually starts looking really good like it looks tailored it looks like this is what you're supposed to be wearing and that that was kind of an artistic choice that i thought was a minor thing but also i I I liked that i think it's really uh, important i i i did not go for some minor upgrades later on in the game because I just didn't want to ruin how my and you outfit like, looked. You like what yes. you look like. Yeah, I, t- I had a very similar thing. There was a coat I bought in Skelliger, this with mm. a fur collar and and all these you know these ornate shoulder guards and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, yeah, I could I could get rid of that and upgrade it for a few more points of defense, but I wouldn't look so cool. Yeah, yeah. My cat armor, it was it was good stuff. Oh, good stuff. I want I might I might go after that in what's left <laughs> probably the next seventy five hours of my game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I um this is you know another moment from me where I bring in my girlfriend uh cat um doctor doctor beck as she is now called uh, she yeah. she she has her phd um so yeah um 
she loves games like this that clearly um, take a lot of uh, influence from kind of history and um, and architecture and culture. Um, yeah. You know, previously it was Bloodborne where she was kind of noticing all the kind of architectural details here. But mm. one of the one of the things that really struck her when um, I was playing this was. The first of all, kind of the layout of Novigrad, um, the city, just the way all the streets kind of flowed together, and you had the docks, and then um, the docks were kind of linked onto the kind of merchant area because, of course, they would be because that's <laughs> the logical place you would have all the shops yeah. is near the docks because they've just been shipped in, and mm-hmm. she just she loved like it. It was the for me um, just as somebody who doesn't know anything about history, um, it was. The the first time I went into a fantasy city and it felt fully populated the way a city would be. Like, I got the sense that thousands of people actually lived in Novigrad. It wasn't just a few houses like you get in Skyrim. Like, the, this was fully populated with walls around it and everything. But she was noticing stuff like, um, have you, like, all around Novigrad, there's just tons and tons of farmland all around it. Yeah. And she was saying, like, well, of course there would be, because all of that farmland is sustaining the population mm. of Novigrad. Like, you need all those crops to feed the city. And that attention to detail, like making sure there's kind of a logic to the landscape and the way people have settled on the land, is just incredibly impressive and they go into this a bit in the uh, no clip documentary where they talked about how they created the landscapes first and then kind of plot the cities and the towns and they were always yeah. trying to find a justification for why towns would be there sometimes it just made sense because they were near a river or something like that and of course the town would be there but then they're like up in the mountains and that's really inconvenient why would anyone settle there so if they're miners, that's how you explain why they're there. And I love that stuff. That That's that's something, like, that's what takes the visual design, the art direction to the next level to me. It's not just that it's pretty. It's pretty and it's been well considered and it all kind of informs the world building. I think for me, as somebody who is more about just the immersing myself in a world like this, this is, as I, when I started playing this, I said to... Um, to, to some of you guys like this is the kind of game that I dreamt of playing when I was a kid um, obviously while you know games back in Final Fantasy 1 times that we're going to cover soon obviously that that sort of in its own way with a lot of imagination kind of did some of the same things in my mind about you know the feeling of roaming uh, uh, you know a fantasy countryside and stuff but here you've got these you know in in places approaching sort of photorealistic graphics especially with all the amazing effects they've they've done on the um with the light the, the light and the flex on the camera and the particle effects and um you know mist and volumetric fog and all that kind of stuff um and yeah i i would have walked a lot more if i if i'd not been up against uh, up against time and one of the things that i noticed very very early on was something that always frustrated me a bit about certain other uh, game engines and i completely understand why they did it why they had to do it because of time things like that but um uh, even as recently as skyrim uh, inside and outside are, are separate entities but here you see an inn in the distance with its light on at night 
and you walk there and you walk in the door and there's no transition. You just walk yeah. in and you can look straight back out the window at the night you've just come in from. And to me, that adds so much to the the sense of atmosphere and immersion, you know, especially if it's raining and the and the mm. and the fires roaring, that kind of thing. It's uh, yeah, it's a real treat. That said, if you do have to load in, man, those load times. Uh, yeah, so this is a this gets us nicely onto technical stuff. So I played it, played this from a solid state drive on on PC on a PC with eight gigs of RAM. So not not as much as some people are now rocking, but a, but a fair amount. Um, no optical disc whatsoever. Um, but I understand that load times, uh, fast travel, and transition They're on rough. consoles is a bit of a a bit of a, a grind at times. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, you can have a like. It's a, sometimes it's a full minute of loading, which uh, it did seem long. But then you know, it, it it's always sort of countered by the fact of of what it's loading into. And, Huge and areas, general, aren't yeah, they? These yeah, these amazingly detailed worlds. So I'm always like, and to be quite honest, when you play, when I was playing this game, I was grateful for that moment to remind myself to put the kettle on and make a cup of tea because <laughs> I haven't like you know, or to eat something. <laughs> you know, it was like, yeah, yeah. it gives me that. Or to go to the toilet usually it's just yeah you've got yeah, enough time just to sort of like yeah. it is worth saying this yeah this is not a completely contiguous one world open world in in the sense that there are um, areas that you you travel between without traveling between if you see what I mean mm. so yes there is the odd loading screen it's it's not um, it's not just one big um, sandbox but uh, you know maybe in a couple of generations time or whatever who knows. Um, Mauricio uh, MM on the forum says, uh, wanted to point out the animation in particular. For a non-linear game, the animations are superb, especially considering they didn't fully rely on pre-recorded motion capture. I can't believe the amount of work the animation department might have gone through in order to make the characters, especially the main ones, feel so alive and convey such a big range of emotions. So I think he's probably mainly talking about the facial animation there. Uh, But also I I, I want to say the... For me, one of the technical letdowns of this game is sometimes the feeling that Geralt is not fully connected to the landscape. Um, like most of the time it's fine, but it's when you're sort of transitioning areas that you're perhaps not supposed to be transitioning. And I know it came along two years later, but having now played, this is always context, but having now played Breath of the Wild and Link's incredible connection to Hyrule in Breath of the Wild Geralt feels a bit sometimes like a bit of a clumsy avatar um, even I know with the various patches and the alternate movement controls and things that they brought in he sometimes feels a bit unwieldy and he'll, he'll like glitch down a cliff or then suddenly just fall an extra 30 feet and drop dead in a really unconvincing fashion um, and stuff like that is it's it's not a major major deal but it's it's stuff that i feel just could have been slightly more elegant to really sort of fully cement one's feeling of being actually in this game world yeah so let's talk also about um the sort of mentioning there the bugs and glitches um i played this for 75 hours if you remember back to our witcher one show i had multiple crashes on that game obviously it's a 10 year old game running on more recent pc hardware but uh, it's known to be crashy. The second game, I had quite a number of glitches. Uh, this game, I played 75 hours running at full whack and everything like that. One crash, one crash to desktop, completely random. Don't know what happened. Um, oh, I think something it was. Yeah, I think I don't know. Just who knows? Maths went 
haywire and it was it just threw me out to the desktop in 75 hours of a game like this I, i'm 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 happy to take that um literally before we started recording tonight i fell through the map for the first time um i was fighting something in a cave and then suddenly i reappeared underwater with no surface and drowned so that was uh, so that's the second kind of game breaking bug the obviously you just reload a save um the only other one I had was a glitch, a known glitch that's never been fixed. I was trying to recruit Ceres for the Kermoren assault by the Wild Hunt. And she, apparently this is in all versions, and it does happen depending on the sequence of events. She uh, spawns under the floor of the room that she's supposed to be in, um, meaning that you can see her icon on the map, but you can't get to her. On the PC version, you can use a mod to no clip and actually recruit her anyway. But on console, it's broken. Um, it doesn't apparently. And you it don't actually recruit her anyway. She refuses because she's got too much to work to do, and she sends her brother instead. Okay, so you miss out on one guy being there, which doesn't. And he's a bit big crap anyway. So. Yeah. Okay. So so no no biggie, but frustrating. I think it means that yeah. I think it might lock you out from an achievement for recruiting everybody. Something yeah, like will. that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not good. But um. But yeah. So three three technical actual complaints in seventy five hours of ridiculously you know a demanding game is is not bad. Did, yeah, did anyone was... have a a worse experience than this? No, I wouldn't say it was worse. There was only one time that really sort of, I remember it was just the once that I actually got quite sort of annoyed by it, which was, there was a point in Velen near, um, there's like a swampland and there's lots of like little trenches filled with water. And oh, there was, yeah, there yeah, was yeah. one point yeah. where I was running through this and I fell into quite a deep one and I couldn't get out. And I was just like, this is like, and I, and I ended up having to, I lost about an hour's play. I mean, it's not like that big a deal, but it was just, it's the only one that has genuinely kind of annoyed me. I don't, I can't recall any crashes or anything really. You know, you get a bit of clipping, some guy will be half in a doorway or something like that, but. Yeah, you I've know, had some cutscenes where Roach is uh, is very much front and center of the um, <laughs> of the conversation, stuff like that. But yeah, it's partly circumstantial. Yeah, and those things, you know, there's always this thing like where you you weigh it up against this, everything that this game is doing and has done. The team that made it, you know, they might be big now, but they weren't that big when they were making this. There was they, they, there's something like 400 people. Um, that's being increased to 700 currently at the, the, the CD Projekt Red. That's including sort of GOG and, and so on. But I think at the time they were yeah. making this, it was between 150, 200 people, which, you know, might it's, it is a lot of people, but given the scale and scope, that's like a drop in the ocean compared to other big open world game developers at this point, you know, and, and, and there's always that sort of like, you know what, I can take a few little graphical glitches here and there you know none of them ever i mean again i came into this game several months down the line and by the time i came you know i i just i'd seen people talking about the menu problems and stuff like that i didn't have any of this because by the no, time i, I came into playing it the, all this stuff had been patched fixed and altered mm -hmm. to the point where it didn't become any issue at all for me so it's mm -hmm. like yeah 
I, I just think the you know the closest comparison The Witcher Three has in terms of scale and what it's doing is you know Bethesda's kind of Fallout's and 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 Skyrim and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And The Witcher Three had its glitches and had its bugs, but it was in a much better state at launch than you know say Skyrim was on PS3 uh, and and stuff cool, like that. Yeah. I, I think. I think you know, given you know their competition in this arena, they've done remarkably well to keep it as bug-free as it is. Yeah, I, <laughs> I did not uh, encounter any uh, actual game-breaking glitches or bugs, um, but the one that I ran into, and this happened several times throughout the uh, the the my playthrough, um, was parts of characters would just be missing. So I would see, um, I, I noticed this, I think that the first time I noticed it was on Kira, uh, it was her, um, like her neck texture, like it was her skin texture was just not there. So you would just see straight through her to the back of her dress. Uh, it was uh, odd and jarring to be sure, but not... Uh, it was more uh, funny to me than it was any kind of... No, I, I never had any crashes, which was, uh, you know, fine. Uh, nothing froze up. I, I didn't get into any situations that I couldn't get out of. Um, it was just a few graphical things. Just to illustrate that uh, your experience may not be as smooth as ours. Kintaris from the forum says, uh, Frankly, I'm getting frustrated and bored with the Game, game of the Year editions. Constant bugs, freezing, total crashes on the Xbox One. Compounded with the points above, this hasn't been a pleasant experience in the slightest. Mm. Um, so, obviously, time's getting on. Uh, the sound, though, is something we should touch upon. But yeah. I do want to say um, that uh, our other podcast, Sound of Play, we've featured a good number of uh, pieces of music from the Witcher 3 soundtrack because us and the community really like them um, so there's a there's a real um, a broad uh, sort of um, set of sounds in this game uh, lots of sort of traditional fantasy stuff there's orchest or orchestrated stuff there's choral stuff there's sort of medieval sounding stuff um, the one tune there's one tune in Novigrad that did start to wind me up a little bit and you'll probably know it if you heard it um, but there's also some uh, astonishing um, soundscapes in uh, in the, the that misty isle that we mentioned earlier, mm. um, and Skelliger, and uh, yeah, there's there's you know some of it's reminiscent of other things of a similar um, nature. Howard Shaw's Lord of the Rings score, Jeremy Soule's um, Skyrim work, um, and also some of the Dragon Age um, music as well. But uh, but yeah, uh, overall. Yeah. Absolutely no complaints. Uh, also, as Jay's already mentioned, the the environmental sound is uh, is yeah just seamlessly done. I would say I love the soundtrack to this game. I mean, I often listen to it, and I think the the idea of bringing getting Percival involved in mm. some of the score was frankly a stroke of genius. Like I cannot. I mean, they are literally a perfect fit for the soundtrack for the game. Like it, it's like. An alignment of the stars, as far as I'm concerned, musically, it's just, it's just, it's an incredible score. One of my favourite tracks, um, "Steel for Humans," which is, which is a track that plays during combat sequences, is this really powerful, aggressive, um, you know, folk, Slavic folk song. And then you find out the lyrics for it are uh, 
uh, just you know a traditional wedding song and they're just singing <laughs> about a man and a woman kind of coming together and while you're slicing people to pieces it's it's quite there's quite there's something funny about that but in the moment because i don't understand polish it it feels really powerful and potent and um in a way like it it absolutely is drawing from like a lot of classic kind of fantasy soundtracks but i think percival kind of are that kind of you know extra ingredient that makes the mm. witcher free soundtrack stand apart from everything else in the genre i think that inclusion of specifically you know slavic uh, folk music gives it an identity that um yeah like like i i've ne- you know i listen to the witcher 3 soundtrack a lot of the time like it's one of my go-to's um whereas you know stuff like dragon age um there's good music in there but I'm not going to listen to that when I can listen to Howard Shaw's Lord of the Rings music because it feels so reminiscent of that, whereas this is its own beast. Mm. Uh, so I suppose we should talk about actually playing the game a little bit. Uh, I, talk, I alluded to it there with the with my slight um, misgivings about uh, Geralt's uh, sometimes uh, connection with the world um, and I think that sort of for me plays into the combat side of things a little now I don't have any major problems like I'm still playing this over 75 hours when monsters turn up I enjoy slicing them up there's some really spectacular finishers um, mm. and uh, that's you know it's good good fun slicing people up but a little bit a little bit too gruesome at points maybe with some of the some of the humans uh, it makes Dude, more sense with the swords. how gruesome do you think it's going to be <laughs> well it's that's like... true enough true. that's true enough um so if we're being you know because we are this is what we do we are hypercritical if this if this game had combat with the fidelity and precision and depth of a from software game it would to, for me take it to another level and make it you know one of the great games of all time kind of thing as it is it's serviceable and obviously your character progression um and and the way you spec yourself out plays into it so there's there's interest there and depending on what difficulty level and so on you choose obviously your experience is probably going to vary dramatically depending on how much of a challenge you set for yourself in the combat so for me this this side as somebody who played 75 hours on normal difficulty died a couple of times in combat but mainly died for other silly reasons um i found it enjoyable but not it's not like you know this is the game you have to play if you enjoy sword and you know sword play in a in a fantasy setting it's it's there and it's solid and it's fine but it's not kind of the the selling point for me does anyone feel um similarly or differently to that i i feel differently to you leon i i think from software has uh set a really really high bar for action rpgs um they're the absolute peak for me um witcher 3 is not a close second but probably comes second in this this particular space in terms of combat engines for action rpgs i i had a lot of fun with the combat um it mainly it's it's less to do with the depth of the actual sword play itself and more how much fun i had prepping uh for fights like i they've made the kind of 
serums and and potions and oils that you apply to your blades so much more accessible in in this game than it was in in uh, the Witcher 2 and mm. just being you know looking at the best tree and going right okay i'm fighting a uh, uh, a necker what what are neckers weak to okay they're they're weak to this kind of sign they're weak to this kind of oil and i should probably equip these kind of grenades right ready okay and i liked that kind of that layer of combat of kind of going in knowing the kind of tactics i'm going to employ to take out the enemy as quickly as possible um and the, there is, you know, there's stuff like the counters that you can do with human characters and um, they give you much more kind of evasive ability here. So you've got like the dodge roll and also the ability to kind of just, you know, sidestep attacks and stuff like that. I don't think, you know, if you're going to compare this to a more traditional straight up action game, I don't think it would fare that well. But in the arena of action RPGs, it's pretty much uh, the only thing I can think of that's better is the Souls likes. I don't think that playing on a second playthrough, I would want to play on easy again. Hmm. Uh, And that's mostly because I didn't really need to do for the most part uh with with a very few exceptions i didn't really need to do anything with the uh potions that you can drink the witcher potions you can drink or the oils that you can apply to your sword it just wasn't necessary and and i was not uh all that well the the combat wasn't why i was so invested in the game so i didn't feel that really as a loss but i think that that's something i'd want to add in on a second playthrough so i would i would say that i uh i i would try it on a different difficulty uh, a higher difficulty going through a second time just so that i could have that experience as well um it it uh, it, it wasn't yeah. something that i necessarily missed while it was gone but i i it would be something that i would like to have added back in i i'm similar to leah in that i was playing on my playthroughs my initial playthroughs it was always on easy mm-hmm. and it you know like similar it was more about the story and the experience than the combat although i have start i did start a playthrough on death march which is the hardest Ooh. setting and it, it cool. is hard yeah the, the thing is it's there is a depth of the combat there is and especially on like the last two settings the hardest i think i can't remember if it's just called extreme or or death march i can't mm-hmm. remember what they are nightmare or maybe other anyway the you know it's a case that you have to you have to learn parries and blocks yeah. you have to use concoctions which i never use the concoctions at all i use the potions i use the oils but the concoctions were never something I bothered with because no. I really didn't feel I needed them. But on those difficulties, they are ap- like everything. Yeah, You need everything in your arsenal and you have to learn how to use it properly. You know, you have to do the investment in terms of finding out what each, you know, use the best tree to, to find out what everything is is i really like that idea if i only ever had one game to play and it was this one i would do all that in a heartbeat as it were but i'd be spending like a thousand hours playing the one game or something so the problem that i had with this setting and it's the reason why i gave up on it because i stopped enjoying the game right because the problem like i i died so i died more times in white orchard by a pack of wolves or dogs 
than any other point in the game in the previous yeah. playthroughs. And the thing is, it pulled me out of the world because I felt to myself, you know, I'm Geralt the Witcher and I'm getting torn apart by dogs. Yeah. Like, it, mm. like I get that, but it's like... There the, must the be a point, sweet spot where it's challenging, but not Yeah. I mean, the hideous. problem was, for me, was that it was attached to trophies. And with this game, there are literally uh, just a couple of groups of trophies, particularly uh, the Gwent stuff and the playthrough on the harder setting ones. So I figured I'll just go straight in and and have a crack and it's not like you know i figured it i have the experience of knowing what's coming so i figured it would help but no i gave up on it because i just thought it's going to sap the enjoy i wasn't enjoying it as simple as that but i feel that if i dropped it down a couple of notches to say the one Mm. uh, whatever it is just above normal it'll be probably just enough to give you that sense of achievement when you take on something you know the sense that when you take on a fiend that it Mm. is a lethal opponent and it needs to be dealt with properly but like mm. a pack of dogs, yeah, not a problem. But yeah, that's cool. Um, so I suppose that ties into the the character development, which has been completely revised again for the, for the next as as per the previous two games, utterly revised to a completely different system, mm. um, without sort of describing the workings of it. Um, I found that it it felt a little bit um, like even once you've unlocked every slot, I, I wanted to be able to have more of my abilities active at one time it, it felt even though you know I'm, I'm now at level 35 or whatever having finished the game so you've got uh, you've got um is it uh 12 things that you can have active at one time and four mutagens i think that's right. four, four, yeah. four times three yeah um but obviously you're choosing from groups of of um, considerably more than that um, within the different sort of areas of um, mm. out and out combat, magic, um, so on and so forth. Um, so, I mean, I, I thought it was, you know, it's quite a neat system, but I, I just wanted to be able to do more, get more, get more um, skills that I could have uh, equipped at any one time. I, I mean, I certainly didn't feel I, I needed them. That was the thing. Like, but then that, again, it plays into the difficulty. True. If I'm not struggling, then I'm, you know, I was, I was kicking the arse out from anything that I was taking on mm. and on easy anyway by the time I maxed sure. out the character so it was like Leah you're a big RPG person you've no I doubt am. played with sphere influences and dress spheres and all that good stuff in oh, materia yeah. in, in all the all the JRPGs um, did what did you think of this was, did it was it sufficient for a for a sort of action RPG or could you have done with a bit more kind of depth to the character progression system yeah i i think that i would have preferred to have more different um things that you could invest points into rather than multiple levels of the same thing Mm. uh and that probably would have led to as you were kind of saying um more things that you could have active there were um parts of that skill tree I guess if you want to call it that uh, that I never touched because I wasn't really doing that much with any Same, kind of, yeah. of uh, potions or anything like that so that like that wasn't really that useful to me I was mostly investing in things that would make my signs better or things that would make my sword hit harder Same. Yeah, uh, and, and it that felt was like I was being maybe again maybe it's based on difficulty and play style mm-hmm. as well but those were sure. exactly the paths I went down I was like make my fire spell really strong mm-hmm. make my sword you know strong on both weak and 
strong attacks because that you know that's what you've got. You've got a dodge and a, an X button and a Y button attack or a square button and a triangle button, depending. Um, and so it just felt like I was very much funneled down. But that could be entirely my. There may be all sorts of other ways to play this. Yeah. Did uh, have you tried different specking out in different ways, Jay or Josh? I did. There's a couple of potions you can get that can reset, basically give you all. That's it right, resets yeah. all your stuff and so that's a good way of like testing the waters with like okay what if i just slapped everything into that side of it and, and mm-hmm. then you try like you know see what happens and see how it feels i have to say that i didn't really gel with that i I tried it thought yeah you know what i prefer things the way i've been using them maybe just the case that i was comfortable with it and if i was out of my comfort zone switching you know like i barely use the crossbow and stuff like that the only time i use a crossbow was when i was underwater <laughs> or dropping yeah. harpies mm. yeah mm. josh for, for me it was a case of i kind of just i kind of dabbled with everything early on and then i kind of settled on what what were the signs i was using the most what were the abilities i was using the most what what would I actually find useful in most situations? And I kind of, kind of, with the signs, um, I kind of focused on the shield ability. I can't actually think of the actual name for it, but the shield ability, Quen. and also Quen and Igni for the fire. Um, those were the two that I ended up using simply because the shield was really, really useful for big, heavy monsters. I could get in close and, um, you know, tank some damage with the shield and not have to worry about being hit by giants and stuff like that. And with the flames, they were just, they're really good for crowd control. Like if you got, you know, the, you know, at some point you can upgrade it. So you're, you've got a flamethrower and just kind of doing that into a big, crowd of people yeah. suddenly it's a lot easier to kind of pick them off one by one the fact um, that we're and- all talking about basically the same build concerns me slightly about this yeah. game with or this character like it just feels like yeah quen igni swords well, it, truth is i so i'll say with quen i didn't actually use quen at all until i got to the expansions and particularly the blood and wine okay Oh. Um, but that was it. That was the first time that. But I you're playing thought, on easy though. Yeah, but even then there was there was a fight in there where I was just getting battered. No, I but thought, I'm saying no. Like you, Quen, Quen is going to be more essential the higher the difficulty you go. Yeah, I, I, I did not use Quen very much either. Uh, but I did yeah. use uh, the the mind control glyph. Mind control glyph. Yeah, I, I used Axie? that bit. Yeah, is that is that the one? Yes, uh, and I used yeah, that because you can. Um, get some extra dialogue options in quests as well yeah yes and you can also talk your way out of some encounters like there are some things that you can you could fight these guards or you can just wave your hand at them and tell them that these are not the droids you're looking for yes exactly and uh, and they'll just let you in and i i prioritize that that. yeah i i liked that um because Mm. i I kind of said this earlier but um i I felt like my my geralt was not gonna just kill dudes just to kill dudes like Mm. if he has to then sure he's going to but if he can just make them go away instead and nobody gets hurt and he still gets what he wants then why not yeah, I mean that's that's only with yeah. with Axio. That's the first slot that you unlock, isn't mm-hmm. it? And that's the only one that really uh, attributes to um, uh, dialogue options. 
Yeah. And the rest are then combat related where you can basically get somebody to fight on your side. And then the more you upgrade that, the longer they'll fight on your side. Or the more you can, uh, I think you can up to two or three at the final stage of that. You can improve a couple of them to fight for you. But it's like, mm. yeah, I didn't really bother with that because... Again, I didn't even use it in combat that much. I mostly just did yeah. it for the, the dialogue choices and kind of the pre-combat stuff you can do with it. Mm. Yeah. It would be interesting to hear from. Obviously, we can only go with the uh, the experiences we've had and the correspondence we've got. But it would be interesting to hear from some real, you know, Witcher obsessives who have gone through this game uh, on higher difficulty levels and specked out their characters in different ways. But obviously, I imagine that our experiences of four plus plus the experiences of uh, of our community, as always, will reflect um, many people's experiences. Mm-hmm. And on that, we've had a few um, posts, uh, interesting posts on this sort of area of the game. Stanshall says a phenomenal technical achievement with some enjoyable dialogue and unexpected narrative twists. The Witcher 3 was nevertheless most enjoyable to to Stanshall as a walking simulator with no pejorative intended. While a number of patches improved the sluggish combat and movement, these elements were still very off-putting to some someone weaned on the Souls series. Whether or not this is an unfair comparison, I bounced off the game several times due to the overly animated lightweight sword twirling. For months, I tried and failed to make headway beyond the first quest of Novigrad until I read a post which recommended turning off the music, turning off the HUD, playing in easy mode and just walking around, headphones on, soaking it up. Around that time, my wife was quite ill and so this exact suggestion became part of my own relaxing self-care once she'd fallen asleep beside me. I can still remember those evenings very vividly. The changing light, the shadows, the rich brown wooden panels everywhere, the flowers, the world-weary humour, the incessant chatter and the catcalling. I felt that the city was more alive than any other place in gaming. It became a comforting respite for me and I looked forward to the hour or so of peaceful escapism before I fell asleep. Mm. That's really nice. Different, you know, same game, different role in playing in people's, people's lives. Third Man, also from the forum, talking about the difficulty curve says I feel that the decision early in the game to allow you to visit either Novigrad or Skellige in search of Siri was a mistake it was immediately obvious to me that Siri wasn't going to be still present in either location it's true that she ultimately winds up back in Skellige but I knew I would have to complete each location first in order to move the story on so I was facing 20 to 30 hours in each area looking for someone that owing to the structure of the game couldn't have been there I never felt surprised, disappointed or excited by the fact that Siri was always somewhere else, because of course she was. That decision damaged the difficulty curve. The recommended level for Novigrad is lower than that of Skellige, but when I completed all of the early missions in Novigrad, I found I was overpowered when I arrived on the Isles. In order to complete the missions at each recommended level, you'd need to travel back and forth between both locations, which kills the feeling of Skellige as being on the edge of the world. Skellige needed to feel like a proper challenge right from the moment you arrive, which is exactly as it should be considering the imposing nature of the environment and the disposition of the locals. In terms of both narrative and difficulty, it would have made more sense to have Skelliger locked out for a longer period of time. Open world purists might scoff at that suggestion, but that's exactly what happens at the beginning when you're confined to White Orchard, and it happens later in the game when you can't freely visit Kaer Morhen. It made narrative sense then, and it would have worked for Skelliger as well. This isn't a single open world like Skyrim, and that allows CD Projekt Red to exercise a stronger directorial hand than Bethesda does with its absurd narrative structuring. I just wish they'd stuck with it throughout. I admit that gating a game and having progressively more difficult areas is a little old-fashioned in this era of open worlds, but it's still a tried and tested method of keeping the player challenged for the duration of the campaign. 
There's also a deeper problem with the difficulty happening under the hood. I played most of the game on Death March and it wasn't nearly challenging enough during the middle period. I felt way overpowered, even during missions that were two or three levels above me. Of course, this is an RPG and if my particular build happened to be stronger than yours, well, then that ought to be clear evidence of choice and character creation at work. Nonetheless, I do feel that the very hardest difficulty ought to have offered more during normal play. The bosses were plenty difficult. Uh, and on the sort of quest and side quests, which I feel like we've sort of um, we've touched across the, the scope and span of those, there are a lot of quests. We'll perhaps talk more about this in our expansion show. Uh, the emailer from the forum. I gave up on Witcher 2 after eight hours, but this really drew me in. Massive open worlds aren't my thing usually. I don't have much gaming time. I like well-crafted linear stories and dislike collecting things, but this really broke the mould. I felt motivated to do side quests. So much of what can be found in these war-torn lands has insightful writing that fleshes out the world, thinking of how conflict has affected everyday people. The best thing is the feeling that Geralt's actions don't always make a difference, which gives the impression of a world outside the player, not one revolving around them. And Hunter 30 says the number and quality of the side quests is staggering. I can't think of any other game where there are so many herbs and plants to collect and yet so few quests which explicitly ask you to collect them. The attention to detail and craft that has gone into even the game's most peripheral aspects, which many players won't ever see, is mind boggling. In most RPGs, a typical side quest might be the equivalent of me being sent to the local supermarket to fetch a bottle of wine, perhaps having to fend off a few moped-riding street rats in the process and then returning with said wine. In The Witcher 3, the typical side quest, if there is such a thing, is the equivalent of me getting to the supermarket to find out it's in the middle of a turf war with a neighbouring convenience store, complicated by an illicit affair taking place between the two managers, one of whom is afflicted by a curse that turns them into giant haddock every full moon. The wine is long forgotten. <laughs> we have the best posters. Thank you, Hunter30. Uh, so time is uh, against us, but... Um, I sort of looked into having seen my ending, which was pretty dour and downbeat. I know that there are sort of three major key endings based on certain key uh, choices you've made regarding Siri throughout the game. There's also a further 36 end kind of cards animations, depending on quests mm. that you've completed and how you've completed them throughout the game. So there's there's a number of um, ways that the game can pan out. But talking specifically about Siri, uh it turns out I did things the wrong way and Witcher ends up in grief that his sort of surrogate daughter is uh, is gone. Um, Josh, you got that ending as well. Do you, did you feel uh, bereft or did it satisfy you? I think... Um, so I've kind of come to terms with the ending as uh, time has gone on. I think at first it felt really anticlimactic. I poured so much... Uh, time into The Witcher 3 and for it to end in that way felt um, I don't know, I felt a little bit cheated but it doesn't, it, so did I, it doesn't really telegraph those key points that well, that strongly and maybe no, that's a good it, thing because that's like life but yeah. in another way it's like you're playing 75 hours and it's never actually said you might want to think about this for a bit longer <laughs> But um, but that's the thing. I think that that kind of respect has kind of come with time um, yeah. as I reflect on it, and I've rewatched the ending. I actually think it's really powerful, and um, yes, and I I'm glad. At, 
the thing is, I can't not speak in the context. You know, I, I've played the expansions, and that kind of colours my context a little bit oh, because cool. I think the way Blood and Wine treats that ending is really, really well. It it just it handles it really, really well, and we'll get cool. into that um, in that in that issue. But um, sure, yeah, I I think I I think I having seen the more positive endings. Um, I do think the most positive is actually a little bit too neat and tidy, uh, right. with everyone happy. So I, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm I'm happy in retrospect, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with you guys. I got the good ending. All you have to do is uh, treat her like a human and don't hand her over to her crazy father. <laughs> yeah. So about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was using it. I, there was no way I could explain this to her or the game, but my rationale was that this would keep him at bay and sweet, and we could also get some coin together for the fight. At so, bay and sweet? So you sacrifice her independence in order to get yourself coin? You know how messed up that sounds? Yeah, you, you're throwing me to the wolves here. Leah, I, yes, I, I am. <laughs> it it, it we were playing him. In my mind, we were playing him. Mm. She was in on it, and we were playing him. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Like, I, I, my blunder wasn't that because I actually didn't. You know, I, I went with Siri on that one. I didn't mm -hmm. sell her to her. You just didn't play dad. snowballs, right? I was just socially inept. Like, there were just, <laughs> right, there well, were just you know, situations fair. where I You're completely... You're a video gamer. What do they expect? Yeah, yeah. I just completely read the room wrong. I was like, <laughs> when, when she was miserable in the snow, I was like, do you want to get a drink? And then we oh, had this, like, no. sad sad little kind of drink where she's like, I, I'm not into this. Why are you doing this? And I'm like getting oh. drunk. You made her and an alcoholic the instead of having a snowball fight with her? God, you people. I had a snowball and fight. She still died. <laughs> and then when you find like the secret laboratory that she, mm. not laboratory, the, the you know, the, the sorcerer who's kind of, you know, tracking her and all of that stuff. Yes. She's like, oh my God, I can't, this is such an invasion of privacy. And my instinct is like, well, this stuff could be useful. That's so let's what I just, thought. this, this, I, we should keep this around and, and seriously siri obviously didn't like that at all because the it, like the 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 decision you're meant to make there is like let's start trashing the place let's destroy everything and that's how you get the good ending but i was like this stuff is important this could save lives exactly and the same this is yeah. the rationale yeah, what did no, you do I, leah there did you smash the place up? I, I let her yeah she said i'm gonna smash this place and i said all right cool and uh, and that's what we did so i my my kind of overarching thing was I felt like Siri was uh, very clearly to me frustrated the most by thinking that everything was determined for her and that she had no say in anything that was happening to her. So anytime we had a choice like that, and I think this is what got me that ending, anytime we had a choice like that, I let her make her own decision and I stood by her when she did. That's so, clearly the message the writers were... Yeah, were, and, were, I, and, and, Josh and, and I... And I just, did that we and were, you guys just kind of missed the cue, I guess. Missed the cues, yeah. <laughs> Jay, what about you? You've, you've got I more got than one I got a good ending. ending every time. Every just, time. Yeah, good I, for you. There These were certain choices <laughs> where I would never I would never go the other way. And trashing 
his uh, secret hideout and snowball fights and yeah and mm-hmm. all that stuff that Leah was saying about letting her ch- make the choice and just siding with her all the time. I'm going to say just... that Josh and I were just I'm good. This this is the, the worst kind of we we, we 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 were just thinking about it too deeply. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Whatever, whatever. Let's just sleep at night. <laughs> we were we were thinking about uh, aspects of the game that were in our heads rather than were actually part of the game. That's what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> obviously, I I believe that Siri, uh, you know, was was very much uh, her own person and should have been in in control of her own fate. But uh, but I was I was trying to make all these idiots look like idiots. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, so. Grief stricken Geralt, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk more about the the fallout from that in the uh, in the follow up podcast. Uh, a couple of bits of holistic uh, summing up from our uh, from our wonderful community. Alex Dola hasn't finished the game yet. Uh, I think he started playing it in the build up to this podcast, but he says amazing and one of the most consistently interesting games I've ever played. And Third Man said The Witcher Three is a staggering achievement despite its bugs and narrative missteps, many of which are endemic to current open world game design. I assume that's a sort of allusion to, I guess, what we'd call the old Ludo narrative dissonance. Um, and I think, again, like we talked about it with other games. I don't, we haven't got time to go over it again. But yes, there are times when things seem urgent, and yet <laughs> I'll just, I'll just have another few games of Gwent or, uh, yeah. uh, or, or, or have a horsey race because you know whatever. But yeah, I, um, I know we need to fight, fight the wild hunt. I'll be right back. I'm just gonna nip off to Skellige and fist fight a bear like sure <laughs> yeah video games again uh-huh. um will they ever solve this possibly not it's the Probably. nature of the you interactive I, beast i have to say i love that mission that, that was great yes one. i am like, obviously you, you do the, all these the hands at fist fights with all these different human fighters and then the final one in skeleton is oh there's a bear over there that's, <laughs> that's your opponent i couldn't and punch like, a bear <laughs> just... well, i've sliced a few dogs up but i couldn't punch a bear <laughs> I punched the bear. <laughs> no. Right. Summing up uh, a 75 to 150 mm. hour, whatever, epic in just three words. That's what some of our followers on Twitter have done. Follow us do at Canaan mm. Rince. Zoe Harwood, The Winds Howling. Mechanical, playable fantasy novel. Nate Clark, Brewess, Weavess, Wispess. I love those designs. Mm-hmm. They are creepy. Very unnerving. Mm. Yes. Third man says, uh, and this is three words. Pam param, pam pam param. Uh, my pet Roxy, lilac and gooseberries. Mm. Eric Jones needs more roach. <laughs> That's the horsey version. And Eric, I asked if if perhaps Eric had meant the other roach, but no, he was being sarcastic about the horse, which is a bit of a, a sticking point for many. And sometimes you just want to not use roach. <laughs> Richard Murphy, this is magical sex unicorn. <laughs> Shut it down. <laughs> Best three-word review. <laughs> Rashes ten says small details matter. Andy Horrigan, so much game. Andrew Brown, never-ending noir narrative. Deepudi, hard-boiled wonderland. And Jack Mulder says life-absorbing epic. Whew. So to summarise, in brief, would I recommend The Witcher Three? <laughs> yes. Do you like RPGs? play this game do you like graphics play this game uh most graphics it has the most (laughs) graphics yeah it it should be said actually like this is the game um uh our 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 sean sean o'brien lucky enough to win a very 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 fancy pc rig um recently and he was like what games do you use these days to test your rig he's like witcher 3 (laughs) 
he pretty much you know like if you want a game to give it the full the full workout uh stick the witch three in um yeah this is as i say there are some some very sort of minor i say very very minor these are things that would significantly enhance the game for me if Geralt sometimes felt a bit more like he was actually fully connected physically to this stunning beautiful vast world that would be the thing which would tip this into absolute legendary all-time status for me but i've played this for 75 hours right now i'm itching to get back to it i've got a ton of stuff left to do i've got two massive chunks of dlc to play we're going to come back and talk about that can't wait so yes uh wonderful recommended leah Guys, I really like this game. It's it's good. Thought you might. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I still have not made up my mind whether I will ever try to play either of the previous Witcher games, but I am very much looking forward to digging into the DLC. Um, I in a world where I had infinite time, I would go play another playthrough on a higher difficulty level uh, mm-hmm. just to see what the differences were. I don't have all that much time, but it still is a thing that might happen at some point. Um, but I. If, if this is a type of game that you are at all interested in, this is a really great example, warts and all, of, of the genre. Um, I, I really wholeheartedly recommend it, no matter what platform you're playing it on. And um, I think that my next step is going to be digging into, uh, aside from the DLC, that is, is going to be digging into some of the, uh, the novels. Um, mm-hmm. Because that, to me, is the real standout of this. Is uh, It is a beautiful game. I really enjoy... Um, the gameplay itself, the the side quest, the mission setup, but the thing that got me the most, I I think in the end has to be the writing. So uh, I I'm gonna uh, see if I can't seek out a bit more of that as well. Um, but yes, very much recommend as well. <laughs> Jay, you quite got into this game, didn't you? Yeah, it's side to side. <laughs> I mean, the, like, would I recommend it? Hands down, you know. Quite honestly, I I think this is probably my game of the year for both 2015 and because of the expansions 2016 as well yeah yeah um i just i I mean i love it i absolutely adore this game i think it's and it it covers everything it's the game itself the way it plays the script the story the characters but also the way that said project red have kind of handled it the way they put you know the little thank you note in the box the cd soundtrack in the box you know the, the dlc the free dlc that they added with this one game for me they became a studio that was never wasn't even on my radar so some now i am eagerly anticipating everything that they do next mm. you know so yeah bit of sci-fi mm. <laughs> All right, let's finish with Josh. I've never played an open world game like this where I felt that it was both vast and dense. Like I've played so many open world games where it felt like the world was huge, but there wasn't really much there. Here, the world is huge and every corner of it is filled with some kind of interesting story or context for why people are there. It's it's just so impressive. And I, I agree with um, Leon that, like, you know, there are some issues where, like, Geralt is no link in Breath of the Wild. Like, Breath of the Wild feels like 
in terms of just being in that world, you feel so connected to it. But I mm. feel The Witcher 3 makes up ground that is lost in the, that area and just the amount of consideration that's been taken to characters, to culture, to conflicts and how that affects the people around, you know, that are on the outer rim of those conflicts. And, and this is one of those games as well where, like, I recommend anyone, if you've only, you've kind of, dabbled with a few side quests and have just gone through the main story go back in and play every single side quest because they are all worthwhile that i've ne- i don't think there's a single one that just felt like a simple fetch fetch quest they're like that they all have interesting context interesting characters and reasons for being there it is a staggering accomplishment and it's possibly you know among my favorite examples of this genre it's just it's incredible well said that's uh unusually hyperbolic for us here but uh but i think witcher 3 can can take it so it remains for me leon to thank jay josh and leah as well as all of our correspondents and to you for listening and remember if you have enjoyed this and our other podcasts please do consider heading to the patreon patreon.com slash rinse and help us out with a dollar per month or more if you want and uh, it's all gratefully received and helps us keep on doing this thing that we do. Next time, in issue 293, Orphans, Espionage and Porcine Uncles in Michel Ancel's Beyond Good and Evil. <laughs>